Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. Sex is something you don't see much of in Star Trek, uh, FCC regulations aside. I personally would expect to see a lot more action happening in this universe. You've got a bunch of single, open-minded, healthy, good-looking people all trapped on a ship or stationed together for months or years. It should be Bangapalooza. Instead, we get ever-increasingly impassioned games of spring ball and Troy doing X-rated things to a chocolate sundae. Sure, I mean, there's Risa, which we barely ever see, and when we do, Worf is helping Space Mike Pence literally rain on everybody's good time. We take it for agreed on in that episode that Space Mike Pence is wrong. I mean, he's Space Mike Pence. But what is he wrong about? What is he protesting? Like, the idea of sex? I mean, that's pretty regressive for the 24th century. Have the Risians come up with some kind of super space sex that's it's way out there and it's too much? Even for a man who lives in a society with FTL travel, where worm creatures ride people like bird scooters and literal robot zombies are trying to take over the galaxy. No, no, sure. Down with Jamaharon. Yeah, right, right. We hear a lot about how DTF our Star Trek characters are, but it seems like a lot of noise to me, a lot of big talk. The intergalactic version of having a girlfriend on planet Canada who is totally real, you guys. And seeing Riker with some or other woman in the background of a 10-forward scene, it's just a drop in the bucket of how much sex these characters should be having. Are they interested in nothing more than Earl Grey tea and the wider issues of life? Have they no spirit? Have they no passion? Do they not, to borrow from Douglas Adams, fuck? That was the question on my fevered mind when I called up Alexa and Connor of the Boldly Boinking podcast. On every episode of Boldly Boinking, Connor and Alexa, a.k.a. Rocket Man and the Dribble, Ask that same question, where's the business in this Star Trek business? They also talk about episodes of all incarnations of Trek, and they've got funny and frank discussions about putting the F in future. On this episode, we talk about the lack of sex in Trek, what sex would look like in a open post-scarcity society, sex in the holodeck and consent, and the Janeway bang watch. You'll just have to listen. Their show is rated R, but we managed to keep this one to a PG-13, so no worries there. There's still less F words than that time Mysterios Kokonos was on the show. It's a long interview, so that'll be the show this week, but I do have a news slash tidbit and a surprise as well before I get out of here. I'm sure you've seen by now the teaser image for the new Star Trek Picard series. If you haven't, you can check it out on Sir Patrick Stewart's Twitter. In this image, and there's a moving GIF version of it as well, which is really cool, uh, we see Picard in smart civilian togs looking out over a vineyard, and next to him is a canine, a dog, a dog with a Starfleet insignia on its collar, Ensign Doggo confirmed. I think it's a French bulldog, uh, which is fitting, but I'm not positive. Uh, I, I don't know a lot about dogs, but Patrick Stewart does. He is a dog and an animal lover, and he has been a advocate for a long time for shelters and pet adoption. So that's really sweet. Uh, but having a dog as an ambassador could lead to some awkward moments. Yes, welcome to my vineyard, Ambassador Donatra. Would you care for a W-A-L-K around the grounds? 
And now for the surprise, author and frequent show guest David Mack has just announced that he is working as a consultant on the upcoming animated Lower Decks series, as well as a yet unnamed series, and this is fantastic news, and Dave is very deserving of it. He, of course, has close ties to the current Trek edifice because he wrote Desperate Hours, the very first Star Trek Discovery tie-in novel, and he's written a slew of other Trek tie-ins for the previous Pocket Era, a slew that slays other slews. Uh, He was quick to point out on Twitter that he's not in the writer's room, he's just a consultant, he's working in an advisory capacity, but that's the kind of Trek advisor that I'd want to keep things Trekky on my show. As for the other unnamed series that he's advising on. We got no confirmation yet on what that is, but the brothers Hageman, who are developing the new animated Nickelodeon Trek show, did tweet a Sabibi's character going, shh. So that's Nickelodeon confirmed right there, I think. Congrats to David. You deserve it. And I hope you'll still talk to me. Uh, If you want to hear me talk to David Mack, I did last week. We talked about his work on his DS9 episode, Starship Down, and about working in the Trek TV industry. Uh, It's a great conversation, and it joins a host of great conversations with him and many other guests on this show, which you can get on iTunes and other podcast outlets, or by going to enterprisingindividuals.com. If you like those conversations, why not follow us on Twitter at at E-I-S-T-P-O-D, or join our Facebook group, Enterprising Interlocutions. And if you really like those conversations, consider contributing to the show by going to patreon.com forward slash EISDpod. We just got back from Convergence Con in the Twin Cities, where we recorded a live episode at the show about Star Trek 2009. Good or bad? Putting it on trial. That episode's already available in video form on our Facebook at facebook.com forward slash EISDpod, and it will soon be available in audio format at our Patreon, too. So join our crew, get that and other live shows and more. This weekend, we're headed to the East Coast for Shore Leave Con. I've never been to Shore Leave before, but I hear it's great. I've heard that from many people. It's a Star Trek and sci-fi convention just teeming with great guests, professionals, and authors, many of whom have been on this very show. Oh, and Scott Pearson's going to be there, but, you know, it's, it's a free country, I guess. I'll be taking pictures and I'll be tweeting updates all weekend from the con. Maybe I'll get a chance to chat with some of those folks there, so stay tuned. And follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at EISTpod for updates. Really excited about that. Okay, enough of my yakking. Let's talk sex with Rocket Man and the Tribble. Go check out their podcast, Boldly Boinking, on iTunes and Twitter. And come back next week for something else. I'll see you at Shore Leave. And with that, let's get underway. I'm joined in the show today by Alexa and Connor, the hosts of the Boldly Boinking podcast on the Two Finger Guns Club Network. Alexa and Connor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I believe you're also known as Rocket Man and the Tribble? Yep, we are. (laughs) Yes, correct. I have a tendency of flying around the neighborhood, and Alexa has a tendency of being furry and vibrating, so... It fits. <laughs> yep. Perfect. I like it. It sounds like it sounds like a morning show crew, like Rocket Man and the Tribble in the yeah, morning. Yeah, right? You know, catch all your traffic at 7, then Rocket Man and the Tribble from 8 <laughs> until 9. Listen right, to us right. while you're sitting in traffic. Air horn, air horn. Yeah, right. Uh, well, whenever I have new guests on the show, I always ask, uh, how did you first discover Star Trek? When did you become a Star Trek fan? Alexa. Um, I was... Uh, it was just something that in my household we watched as a kid, so I don't really remember. So I guess my parents. Um, sure. But I grew up on Voyager and DS9 um, and then TNG reruns. Um, so that was kind of my experience. It was something that we would, because we were watching it when it was airing, so we would watch on whatever Tuesday or Wednesday when they would be shown, and it was yeah. like a family thing. Yeah. yeah. 
Connor, what about you? Pretty much the same thing for me, but with TNG. As I remember, one of the first things I remember my parents watching on TV was TNG as the run was going on. And we would all, myself and then my brother, when he was sort of old, when he was able to sit upright, would uh, watch, we would all watch it together. So, and then, of course, when all the next ones came out, Voyager, DS9, et cetera, we watched all those as they came. Yeah, yeah. There's, I've talked to a lot of people about their, like, first Trek experiences, and there's, like, definitely a dividing line that has to do with that interregnum, you know, in between TOS and TNG. It's either... I was, I was a kid and I was watching it, you know, when I was 10 years old, uh, the original series, or it's like a family thing. You know, yeah. I was probably mm-hmm. pretty young when TNG came on or maybe uh, DS9 or Voyager. And I remember a lot of nerds have nerdy parents. And so <laughs> I saw my parents watching this thing. It's like, oh, what's that? Uh, yeah, that's a that's an old story. Yeah. Uh, and your podcast, Boldly Boinking, looks at matters of sexuality in the Star Trek universe. Where yes. did the idea for the show come from? Um, it was kind of, uh, just the fact that I really adored when, um, shows like Star Trek, it happens in other star, like sci-fi shows as well, but when they make a storyline that lasts for one episode only, but that storyline is meant to be like the love of this character's life. And then we never okay. hear from them again. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I mostly wanted to go through the episodes and the different series and look at that, um, and just have some fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's uh, in terms of the content of the podcast, I'd say Alexa was mainly the driving force. I came into it because our mutual friend, yeah. who is sort of the producer, one of the main producer of Two Finger Guns Club, mm-hmm. uh, was like basically told Alexa, "It's like I think you should meet this guy. He would probably be a very good yeah. co-host <laughs> for something." And then we sat, okay. we sat beside each other uh, at a St. Patrick's Day party and. Uh, Decided to do it. And just said, yeah, let's do a podcast. <laughs> That's some good producing work there, putting yeah. you two guys together. Yeah. We'll get into it more as we go on, but in watching Trek from this specific perspective, is there anything that you have learned about sec, uh, sex in Trek that really surprised you just out, out, of the, out of the gate? Not surprised, but even, even if they don't always necessarily get it right, it was adri- uh, not necessarily so much original series. Original series was... It, what it was for the time, but I mean, yeah. Kirk is about as much of a dinosaur as possible to be in that subject. <laughs> but uh, yeah. from TNG onwards, even if the writers don't always hit the mark, you can tell that they are always attempting to be like sort of as forward thinking with it as possible. Yeah. Like, again, they don't always get it right, but you got to give them marks for at least always trying to be. Yeah. Of good with the diversity with the diversity of sex in in the universe. And what I'll say is, um, they they don't always get the female side of it right because <laughs> it was released at different times in in the past when, you know, the the lives of of women weren't portrayed the greatest. But I will give them credit that usually, like from TNG on, they present a really great. Um, kind of masculinity like we get even in the original series though like kirk and spock have like a really lovely relationship that has spawned Mm -hmm. a lot of fanfic um that people (laughs) people believe there's a little bit more than friendship going on there but there's been some great like depictions of masculinity and masculinity in relationships um and we get like picard who is not really like a dominating kind of masculine whereas you know kirk was and i mean like once you get into to voyager and once you get into ds9 again 
Um, there's just some, they're, they are forward thinking in some ways. They don't always get it right. It's often the female oh. storylines that they don't get, get right, but they're trying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a great portrayal. There, there's some great portrayals of masculine role models that aren't traditional masculine role models while still being incredibly masculine. There are a few people more masculine than Picard, but he's a massive archeology span nerd who plays a cl- nerd who plays a clarinet, yep. you know, but it all works. Yep. Yeah. That's a really great point about Picard, and I guess I never really even thought of that consciously. Like what a um, what a different representation of masculinity he was, and then even having <laughs> on Picard on the show, then they had to have Riker, which is like Kirk XL, yeah, in of terms course. of uh, counterbalancing that as his uh, as his number one. Um, the the world of Trek and the view of sex in Trek, and definitely as you mentioned, Alexa, like female representation has definitely changed as we've gone on in the years. Um, it definitely uh, also by the inclusion of many more female writers on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was wondering if you guys have talked about Star Trek Discovery yet on your show. We have not. We we haven't watched it yet. We're, oh, okay. Okay. we're thinking about possibly saving that and doing something with that of like doing some episodes of like live watches or something like that. But both of us yeah. haven't yet touched it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. We yeah we've been saving it for sort of a a, a rainy day special occasion. Like. Yeah. Sure. I do recognize that there are some stronger female characters there. Like I've I've I know enough about it that there's some interesting stuff going on there. So. Um, yeah. I would like to, but I just haven't got to it yet. <laughs> sure. Well, I'm looking forward to that. What about the um, the animated series? Did you guys ever see the animated series? We have not. I don't know if Connor has watched it. We haven't done anything on the show yet about it. I watched it a long time ago, but that's back when I smoked a lot of weed, and so it's somewhat <laughs> hazy, the details of what it was yeah, like. Yeah, okay. I can see uh, that, yeah. I, I do remember having seen some episodes, but press me yeah. on particulars, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> it might seem like a non-starter for your format because it's you know primarily for a younger audience, but mm-hmm. there's a couple episodes that might you know fit into what you guys are doing. Um, there's an episode called the Lorelei Signal, mm-hmm. and it's uh, in the episode the the ship finds this planet full of like beautiful women, and they have this. Uh, this music or this sound that like turns all the men to jelly, basically. It's about as far as you can go, you know, on a kid show with them being like uh, sexually obsessed with these women. And so Uhura and Chapel have to like corral a bunch of female red shirts and they have to go out and just take care of take care of business. Oh, that's so, fantastic. Basically, they, yeah. they find a planet of the sirens yeah. and the females have to go kill him while the guys listen to the song. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. If Odysseus had had some girls on board, they would have yeah. been fine. Yeah, yeah, it's true. If he'd had some women, there wouldn't have been any issue. <laughs> I mean, right. this this season of our podcast, we we decided to go into Enterprise for the first time. So maybe next oh, season great. we'll we'll go into some animated series. Um, I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah. <laughs> Something else you've got on your show this season is a new feature called Fade to Black. What was the inspiration behind that? Um, that was a, a conversation I had with someone when I was explaining what our podcast was and they were like, oh, so you talk about what happens, you know, after the, th- after like the scene cuts and we don't see what's happening next. And I was like, well, no, we don't really. We kind of just talk about, um, what's in the episode. And there was a little bit of disappointment <laughs> that I could see <laughs> in that person's face. And then I just thought about it, about how fun it would be to kind of imagine what might happen and Connor and I have very different sense of humor so they yeah. they turn out very differently um but it's been a lot of fun writing them Alexa writes them <laughs> I tend to sort of produce them on the spur of the moment but yeah. uh yeah it, I will I will say though um the writing them is fun 
I did not realize how difficult it would be for me to read in like a, a non um, like in a serious tone the stuff that I wrote. So there's a lot of <laughs> outtakes that are just me cracking up. I usually can't stay in the room while she's reading it. I, yeah. I generally have to leave or I they would just it would never end. Yeah. Yeah. And I should say that these are uh, like little fanfic creations by Alexa about, you know, what happens after we cut away from something interesting in a scene. Alexa, are you a, a fan of fanfic? I never got into fanfic. Um, I've kind of discovered fanfic. I mean, I knew about fanfic, um, but yeah. I kind of discovered fanfic through this podcast. Uh, mm. In between the first season and the second season, we did a little mini series about fanfic just because Star Trek has... It's basically the the originator of fanfic, which I didn't know. And then I kind of started going into it and it was really fascinating. Like the Kirk slash Spock stuff was the originator. That's why it's called slash fiction. Um, And so I kind of got into it through there. I never I've never really been part of any community. I don't really go out and read other fanfic other than for that miniseries. Um, So this is like the first foray um, into fanfic. (laughs) But it's, yeah. I mean, it's just been fun to, it's a fun exercise in writing. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to, to attempt to do something that you normally would never write and see how well you can do it. Yeah. Trek fanfic is so interesting because it really helped keep the fan base alive. You know, mm-hmm. in those interregnum years, uh, people were just so excited about these characters. And it comes out in the kind of ways that we get excited about, of course. Mm-hmm. But I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by fanfic, and it's something I'm definitely going to do a future show about. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I love your show. I love that it's unfiltered uh, by necessity. <laughs> and I love that you're willing to go deep. Uh, no, no pun intended uh, on all all kinds of topics as it relates to sex, and that you cover uh, the whole of Trek. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do an episode about sex in Star Trek for a while now, for a lot of reasons. Um, the least of which, or at least one of them, is the way that Trek storytelling it, it tries to tackle the subject of sex, which with such dorky enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> We get told often that everybody is like super cool about sex in the future, but we never actually see much of it on Trek shows. And I know that the reality of it is, is that it's hard to show an enlightened holodeck bang fest on a syndicated primetime show that's got a large uh, child viewer base. But in that case, it would be really easy to just not mention sex, like something like Lost in Space or just some kind of kiddie show. Mm-hmm. But instead, Trek always wants to seem to let you know that it's down for whatever, like Deep V, huge medallion, let's go. Mm-hmm. Why, do you think, why do you think that is? Star Trek is, you know, so much of it is attempting to speak about various, like a lot of it is translating various philosophical issues and things like that. It's trying to grapple with like, you know, using the medium of, as so much of science fiction does using the medium to talk about philosophical and moral issues of the, of our current existence. And yeah. you can't, you if you're going to do that you can't avoid sex you know you can avoid bathrooms hence there's no bathrooms on the enterprise like <laughs> yeah. for but and for much the same there's, reason there's some showers there's, there's some, some showers, showers. Yeah, yeah especially in enter yeah especially in enterprise <laughs> itself there's a lot of showering but yeah it's yeah. just it's if you want to cover just about any topic eventually mm-hmm. you're going to run into sex and if you're trying to avoid it entirely you're not going to be able to tell really any of the stories you're going to want to do. Even if it's just tangentially, it's always going to be there. And I think that sometimes with Star Trek, the writers, it feels to me like the writers didn't mean to tackle some of the sex stuff that they end up doing. I mean, one of my favorite things is the weird, um, like, 
not fully acknowledged deep love that Q has for Picard. Like, it's very sexual <laughs> in nature. But I don't think they meant it. They didn't mean to do that. But it feels like sometimes they stumble onto this stuff, which is kind of exploring relationships and sex in maybe like a like a non-hetero way, like a queer way, or like these different dynamics. And it feels like sometimes they stumble onto that without meaning to just in the yeah. characters they create yeah. and then yeah. the beauty of it is that they often embrace it like a lot of shows would do something to try and backpedal or, or you know correct what they didn't mean to imply but in multiple cases these series have kind of stumbled into these pairings yeah. and then just fully embraced it and do, it's do, great yeah do they just roll with it yeah Hence the slash, the Kirk Spock sort of situation yep. that a lot exactly. of people... Exactly. There's some great didn't. Q and, P- and Picard stuff out yeah. there, too. There's far more than you'd think. <laughs> oh, uh, Q uh, slash Picard uh, yeah. fic. There Tons. Yeah. Tons. <laughs> yeah. We, even found, we even found one that was uh, Janeway slash everyone on her crew. <laughs> in, a, in a BDSM relationship in which Janeway is the dominant and the, almost the entire crew yeah. are all her submissives. It was, it's, it was amazing. And it's, it's something like 87 <laughs> chapters long. Oh my, it's, 87 it's, chapters? It's an opus. Yep. Well, but it's because Janeway is one of the only captains that they don't ever actually give like a, a any sort of big relationship to. She basically yeah. gets with a hologram at the end of the series. Right. And it was implied that she should get with Chakotay at the start, but then they just never followed through. Um, right. So com- if you compare that to like Cisco or Picard or definitely Kirk, um, they definitely like didn't give her quite as much. Um, so this this fanfic is a direct kind of answer to that. Wow, that is an interesting reading on her <laughs> being in charge of all these people in the Delta Quadrant, and now yeah. she's uh, she's really in charge. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I've always thought that like Trek is so um, it's so. It's so much wants to explore, uh, as you said, like human issues and social issues. And yet it also, you know, people talk about canon and continuity and that sort of thing. It's always been so reverent of what's come before, probably because of how hard won so many um, new iterations of Trek have seemed. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it sort of filters back to the fact that it was in a lot of ways created at a time, like I just imagine these like horny like '60s sci-fi writers who yeah. are in their like '60s or you know maybe like a late '40s, early '50s, and they're watching the sexual revolution like pass them by, and they're like, "Oh no, we we want to break a piece of this off too," you know. And so you get this sort of air of um, progressivism, but also like objectification and sexism, and probably unintended in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. you see cursory nods to gender equality but the women aren't wearing pants and you know everyone assumes that every female officer is she's great but she's gonna get married soon and then she'll be out of the service and that's a shame (laughs) yeah yeah it's i mean i i i know that some of this start that's it's probably a lot to do with it you know it's in the context of like what parties were all these star trek writers in hollywood going to (laughs) and seeing like i know i know like one of the writers harlan ellison from what i know of his history he was an absolute maniac so like <laughs> yeah there there must be uh that's definitely got to go in there so there but again it's also for the 60s it is still progressive yeah the, the first kiss between a, a white person and a black person was on star trek the original yeah. series so they it was they did they were progressive it feels like they're the writers are often progressive for their time, but are still held back. I, I suspect also, like, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but 
there is a function of if you have a writer's room that isn't very diverse, then you're you're limited. You're just automatically limited. So oh, I sure. expect like the original series, while they might have been progressive, if you only have a certain kind of writer in that room, there's limitations. You're just going to run up against them. And I think that they've gotten better. I, I would assume they've gotten better kind of as the iterations of Star Trek have come by of being more diverse. And so that kind of plays out in the storylines, yeah. I think, at least. I guess I think it's kind of four dudes by dudes. Yeah, yeah. But it's shocking, though, because, I mean, Star Trek is has a huge female fan base. And, I mean, the Kirk, yeah. and, the Kirk and Spock thing was a very female-driven thing. Like, the fanfic is very female-driven. So there is this weird thing of it has been written by dudes for dudes, um, <laughs> but ladies still love it. And I think, I mean, I know Voyager was such a such a great thing in addressing that because they finally had like a female lead, but they still kind of failed her and not really giving her the same kind of relationships or whatever storylines. Um, and they did throw in the Hail Mary of the ratings are going down, throw in hot blonde in skin tight suit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. But they even managed to sort of salvage, <clears throat> excuse me, salvage that as well because yeah. with, as you add Janeway, who is, I guess, ostensibly um, sort of a mother figure to the entire crew, but also has this mentorship relationship with Balana, and then Seven comes on and there's this sort of rivalry, rivalry of equals, but also she has a, like a mentoring role to her. I mean, sure, we got the episodes that are like hubba hubba seven to nine, but then you'd also get a lot of really edifying uh, relationships between her and the other female crew members. Well, I mean, yeah, they had to, I mean, anyone's got to realize that there's only so much that you can do the hubba hubba episodes. But you're like, all right, that's enough of that. Let's write some actual stuff now. <laughs> yeah. You know, like right. you're, yeah. at the end of the day, they're still writers. Their job is to make something interesting. They're going to have to be like, okay, let's do something cool now, guys, for God's sakes. Yeah. Like, well, and also, like, I, I recently kind of went through and did a, a rewatch of Voyager. Um, and you can see where their focus on Seven of Nine really does detract from the series and the storylines. And they do kind of try to, to save it a little bit. But there is a period there where they're just like, here, now we have Seven of Nine. That should solve all the problems when really, like, you kind of need to have some storylines and some interesting <laughs> things going on. Does that point come before or after Sunkatse? What's the over-under on that? <laughs> Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we did an episode of that. I don't know if you caught that, but, um, we did a crossover. There's a, a wrestling podcast on our network, which so yeah. it was a glorious crossover opportunity. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I think everyone would agree that, uh, the rock kind of really, <laughs> I don't know what the right word is, makes everything better. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't disagree. Uh, so, like, as far as the writers of Trek go, you know, people can be mistakes, be flawed people, and still be doing good things. Yep. Rod Roddenberry definitely had his issues with sex. Did, did either of you see his uh, his only feature film, Pretty Maids, all in a row? No. It's his only movie credit, and uh, he made it in the 70s, like the early 70s, 70 or 71, and it stars Rock Hudson, let me finish, uh, <laughs> as a high school guidance counselor at an all-girls <laughs> school. Uh, let me finish. Actually, don't let me finish. It's going to be horrible. And yeah. he is basically banging all the students. And he's also, spoiler alert, a serial killer. And so the movie, the movie 
kind of like you know it disproves of his killing but it also it seems like it's pretty thinks that that his um you know womanizing with these 17 year olds is pretty cool yeah he's still a pretty cool dude i mean maybe if he just toned down all the killing a bit he'd be like a nice guy now that you explain this i feel like i someone else has brought this to my attention and i may have watched a trailer for this so i think i know what you're talking about yeah Um, i I wouldn't recommend it to anybody but it's (laughs) It, it just, to me, it seems like somebody, it's like everybody's just hanging out and we're having fun and we're telling jokes. And then one friend who maybe wasn't there or didn't get what we were doing jumps in and says something really offensive. And we're all like, okay, shut oh. it down. Sexual revolution's over. Forget yeah. about it. I mean, it's much like a lot of sort of, for lack of a better word, world creators like um, Lucas or something is a lot of their later stuff often seems like it's, they have the great idea. The great idea. Great is the, the idea is fantastic, but then it's like, okay, well now we got to move past it. And Star Trek, I think, I mean, probably took a much, this had of necessity had to take a much the same approach It's like Roddenberry came up with something. Okay. Because his influence was very much in the sort of the utopian ideal of the thing and that kind of thing. Right. Probably yeah. his influence in the writing, I, I suspect that you're right, was probably not so much in the, well, of course the utopian ideal would come to gender equality and this, that, and the other, that is most likely introduced by others. And then in later series, you, you, you have to take the ideas that were good, but then move on from the ones that, that weren't so fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. much the same yeah. as we've seen with uh, with Lucas, just because someone created something doesn't mean that all their ideas about it are going to be that good. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, that's, and that's also evident, too, in the original series versus the movies with the same cast, right? Yeah. Like, the, later, yeah. the movies are, are a lot better um, in terms of dynamics and... Yeah, uh, and and as far as the movies go, the motion picture, the one that Roddenberry had the most influence in, that's the one that's got all the uh, vaginal symbolism. You've got the uh, Delton character, who these guys are so sexy, they yep. would just they would just blow you away. So they can't even have sex. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of weird li- stuff. You, you got McCoy literally has a medallion on. It's yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's li- also widely acknowledged as like probably the sort of slowest and least interesting <laughs> out of all of them as well. Yeah. Like, this is where you uh, you bring that uh, herbal supplement back, I think. Yeah, exactly. Right? right. You know, and then and then, of course, <laughs> especially when you compare it to right after you have Wrath of Khan and Ricardo and Montalban's just truly amazing pecs. Like uh, you, <laughs> yeah. could, you could do a whole place feature on just those. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that from you guys in the future. Don't let me down. I, 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 uh, yeah, we, 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 we tried to do, we did one of the movies. Yeah. The, 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 the TOS movies aren't particularly great for that. There's yeah. some great, there was some great stuff in the TNG one, particular in the, in, uh, um, first contact in the Borg one with all the BDSM stuff between yeah. data and the Borg queen. There's a lot of that going on, but yeah. the, the right. original series ones, there's not a whole lot that goes on in the films. Except for Uhura's amazing sexy dance in the last movie, but that's <laughs> probably best forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so later in Next Gen, which, you know, was made essentially by the same people, uh, Roddenberry, you know, minus a lot of the great sci-fi writers that were working on the original series. Mm. Now you get what you were talking about. You get them able to do things that they thought they maybe couldn't do before. You get women in larger roles. But a lot of their storylines center around 
relationships, um, romance, uh, forced pregnancy. Uh, I think what's the, the biggest tragedy of a character like Tasha Yar is that all people remember is she was killed by an oil slick and she comes from the rape planet. Yeah. So yeah. we just, yeah. we actually just did that. The Naked we Now. Record, we did The Naked Now recently and we both remarked on that where it's like. It's a lot. It's a lot. And just of all the thing, she just sort of comes out with it. It's it, yeah. it's quite Mentions something. It at any, any occasion, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just the, and well, it's <laughs> while she's attempting to be seductive, and it's like I don't know about you, but if I was in a romantic <laughs> setting, that's not the line I would lead with. Like, yeah, I escaped no. from the rape gangs. It's like holy hell, Tasha. But also, why yeah. is that planet? Why is that planet just not being addressed by the Federation? Like, it's what a bad is planet. Happening? Don't don't go to that planet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. I mean, I think with TNG, yeah, they they fail they failed a lot of their female characters. I mean, um, Troy is another one where they gave her the ability that essentially kind of solves all of their plot lines and then made her really useless. And I don't think that it's the character's fault. I think it's the writer's fault. I mean, the amount of times where they're like, "What are you sensing?" and she's like, "I don't know," or she's like, "I sense <laughs> anger," and it's like they're shooting at us, Troy. Of yeah, course, right. they're angry. Yeah. But I mean, right. the problem is, if any of the plot conflict that they create, if they have a character that can just Re- tell them what's happening, which is the cre- character they created, it defeats all of their their plot um, yeah. points. That's and so on them. They've kind of failed her in that. So I mean, it's better than the first season or the first series, but they definitely had a long way to go. Um, and I think you do see some improvement. I mean, by the, we did an episode for, of theirs um, where uh, the doctor uh, bangs a space ghost. Um, and by that time they were a little bit better. The dynamics was a little bit better. Yeah. It improve It improves as the series goes on for yeah. sure. Yeah. I think sub Rosa is an entirely new episode. We'll have to do that one later. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's intense. I don't know what they're going for, uh, but they certainly accomplished it. Yeah. Well, whatever its flaws, Modern Trek, and, and by that I mean TNG, DS9, Voyager, show set in the 24th century. Yeah. Uh, they, de- they depict an egalitarian world. It's eliminated social prejudice and stigma. They've, con- they've uh, conquered most of their diseases, uh, interspecies, and genetic physiological incompa- incompatibilities aren't an issue. So what I want to know is... What would a society that has a ton of time for boinking and no hangups really be like? Risa. It would be Risa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And we're going to go right to the pleasure planet. <laughs> well, I mean, not everyone would be like that, but the people, who, the, the people who felt like it, you know, that's where you would gravitate to or, sure. or, or, you know, that's it is that it would probably be much like how it's depicted is that if, if this is something that you were truly interested in doing, you would gravitate towards the the nature of the society would means that there would be a place for you to just do that mm-hmm. for yourself, yeah. you know? Yeah. There is a wonderful thing that we discovered when we did a Voyager episode, um, and Harry Kim is the one who boinks. Whatever, what, apparently, there's a whole, like... Bureaucrat, not bureaucrat, there's a, there's like there's a, a whole... By Voyager's timeline, there's an entire procedure... With interspecies relationships. Um, And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's a whole guideline involved. You need captain's permission and such. Now, we are of the opinion that this was formulated because of Riker. That and, and R- Riker okay, okay. and Kirk were sort of the patient the zeros of this, <laughs> yeah. and and that be and that probably in the beginning, before later on they tried to regiment this, 
probably most people acted like Kirk and Riker, which just like, can I have sex with this? Well, then I will. Are you okay with that? Yes. Great. You know, right. and it clearly as, as things went on, perhaps a bit more structure had just of necessity had to be put in place because no doubt people, although most diseases have been conquered, people were probably getting all sorts of strange things going on until they a started A lot of glowing to- tummies in the fleet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when I think about Ryza, it makes me wonder if it's something that only certain people do. Like maybe there's just people who, you know, it's just their thing or people who have like a really high sex drive. Or is it something that like everybody does? Like everybody just books, you know, like two weeks out of the year to go to Ryza or Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. It certainly seems that everyone around at least has a... When you mention you're going to rise and such, except for a few outliers, everybody seems to know what they're talking about. It definitely yeah. seems to be a very well-known place. I think, though, that if it's truly egalitarian and there is no prejudices, then um, the people that kind of skew more towards like a lower sex drive or even asexuality would not feel pressured to do that. So I think it would really largely just become like a preference thing, right? If you want to go and, and have like a free-for-all... Um, no, no limitations, uh, sex holiday, <laughs> then you'd go to Riza. But if not, you know, there would be other planets. There's probably other places And for there you. would be no stigma attached to it. I mean, that's, right. that's what I would hope if, if it's truly kind of, um, evolved past prejudices. <laughs> yeah. It's like what happens on Riza stays on Riza, but not in a weird Vegas no. way. Yeah. Like not in a weird Vegas way. Just in a, yeah, right. everyone knows what, everyone knows more everyone or less what's going business. to be going on. So yeah. you don't need to have the long conversation about it unless and, you want to. And that's why you get to have great scenes where people kind of make fun of the the more um, tight-laced characters who are going to Riza. <laughs> this is, uh, you're speaking about uh, Space Mike Pence, as you guys put it? Yes. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something I love about that episode, which uh, there's not a lot to love about that episode, um, Let He Use Without Sin, is that the Federation citizens on Ryza tolerate those guys. And in fact, they even come, they're all like passing flyers out, come to our thing, we're going to give you some hellfire. And people show up like, okay, okay, no, no, I'm I'm cool with what goes on on Ryza, but I heard you out. Like, that's just, that's how I imagine it working in the Federation. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, right? We'll see what you have to say. Yeah. And uh, then we'll judge it on its merits. And its merits are, uh, it seems pretty boring, so we'll go somewhere else. But thanks for your time, (laughs) you know? And you're welcome to stay. You don't have to go anywhere. We just don't believe the same things you do. Yeah. It's it's great. But you don't have to leave. Yeah. Until, yeah. Don't mess with the weather machine. Though. Yeah, yeah, until you convince Worf to break the weather machine because he's a dumbass. <laughs> it's oh, not a great Worf. episode. <laughs> it it adds a, or it asks a lot of questions too that maybe we can't cover uh, or don't have time to on this episode about how sex work uh, works or functions in the Federation because uh, the people on Riza who you know, administer Jamaharon or, or whatever seem to be totally happy to do it, mm-hmm. but there is no money. So if nobody's getting paid, like how? What is the transactional nature of of sex work? In well, the again, it, it seems as though it's become an. It's no longer. T- it's not a transactional thing. If you're mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. there, it's because that's what you want to do. That is your jam. Yeah. And sure. like in much the same ways, no one on the Enterprise is getting paid either. So or, or any of the ships. So if that's where you want to go, you go. And the people who want to be doing what they're doing there, that's where you're going to end up. If if yeah. you know that's what you if you know you wake up and you have your awakening and discover you're into you know whatever Orions, you go to Ryza and be like, let's work with some Orions and go from there. Like. 
It's, sure. uh, yeah, there just there doesn't need to be any transactional nature to it whatsoever. Yeah. I wonder then if, like, for instance, Vanessa Williams in that episode, if it's a thing where, um, and I'm going to compare this to another uh, franchise, like Firefly, where you've got the companions, like Inara as a companion. Yeah. Like, if you then go to some kind of academy and you study to, like, be the best sort of sex therapist you can be, and so you find, like, a position, you know, on Ryza or, or some other planet to sort of administer um, this therapy. Most likely. I mean, you would hope so. And and yeah. just kind of like learning the trade and learning like uh, tricks and tips and also like safety stuff. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think it, that if it's truly utopian, then there would be that kind of education available. And it seems as though because it's built into the very cultural or culture, like it, it wouldn't be viewed perhaps as almost a work schooling but more as like a cultural acclimatization thing like and just yeah but it happens to mix all that information in with it because that is like within the very sort of cultural guidelines of the of the planet itself yeah yeah i often this isn't sexual but i often wonder in the federation um they are a multicultural society just by necessity in their existence and i wonder how much the normal federation citizen uh, knows about other cultures mm. um, because there could be a culture in the Federation that lives a thousand light years away. And if you're not in Starfleet, you're never going to meet them. Mm-hmm. But you look at somebody who, like most Europeans, just naturally speak several languages just by necessity or by proximity. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if people in the Federation would just know a lot about like different cultures and speak, oh, I speak Bolian and I speak this and I speak that just because of the nature of their society. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think people that are kind of on the fore, like on the, the front lines of any kind of cultural uh, exchange automatically are are more exposed. But there are yeah. a lot of hints that um, the Federation planets are pretty diverse. I mean, Worf was raised by human parents because there's in that Rise episode, there's a, a thing where he's talking about how he almost killed a kid playing <laughs> he soccer killed a kid or something. Playing, playing football. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think I think that that kind of shows that there is the possibility of some like some mixing, some multiculturalism. I mean, I would I would expect that it would be similar to what happens on Earth now. Right. Big cities have more yeah. natural diversity because people more people go there they're they're coming from different places i would assume that it would be the same there'd be ports there'd be like centers that you know have attracted people from different planets and different sectors or whatever and then there there'd be other places that are um, maybe less diverse i guess yeah there it is an interesting question of like the average person on an average planet on like sort of the outer fringes of their space how much do they know it's unfortunate that we don't necessarily we don't know we don't usually get an answer because obviously the nature of our characters are such that they are probably the most exposed to all this as Mm -hmm. it is you get that sometimes when they go to like more provincial places and they're often dealing with people who view the federation like as a more sort of suspicious military entity or things like that you, yeah, you, you yeah. get you get that sense from some of the episodes when they go farther out and usually for some reason like the set dressing has decided that these people look more sort of like an 18th century or 17th mm-hmm. century like european industrial <laughs> city or something yeah and they right. tend to have a more parochial outlook mm-hmm. yeah and the weird thing that's never really addressed on the show is that there would be way more humans spread amongst the galaxy than still live on Earth at this period. You know, like yes. the human diaspora would be in full effect. So who knows how many Earthlings the Federation uh, thinks that Earth can uh, you know, withstand. Let's say it's like 12 billion. There's got to be way more than 12 billion humans oh, spread yeah. across oh, yeah. the galaxy. 
Oh, yeah. So, oh, like, yeah. being a human would have very much less to do with being from Earth than it ever has. Of yeah. course. And, I mean, they don't really get into the... They don't get into this so much in Star Trek, but the implication in that there's other science fiction series and such where, especially for people who... Uh, it, it just seems to work out in Star Trek that everyone grows up on an M-class planet with the exact same gravity of Earth. But yeah. if you went and suddenly you have people growing up on like 1.5 times gravity or somewhere where the atmosphere is completely different <laughs> sure. and such, yeah. how mu- how different would people get before they were even sort of still ex- uh, qualifying as human or how mm-hmm. they would consider how what you would consider yourself human if there started to be much greater physiological changes due to the planet of your origin would, yeah, would be an interesting take on, well, how much longer do we even call ourselves a species and what makes you human now? It seems to me that most people that we meet in Star Trek series identify as being part of the Federation before they identify as being human or whatever. It's Yeah, or part of Earth. Yeah, Yeah. that's often Mm -hmm. comes up in like specific cultural differences that get played up, but first and foremost, they're largely identifying as being part of the Federation. So that might be how you solve it, right? Is um, rather than the primary thing being you're human or you're from Earth, that you're part of the Federation. And it contrasts with all the other alien cultures. The Klingons are all about being Klingon. The Romulans are right. all about being Romulan. Mm-hmm. You know, right. the Federation is all about being members of the Federation. That's mm-hmm. part, probably one of their biggest, in fact, differences between all the other cultures that they run into mm-hmm. is their yeah. lack of monolithicness when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that has remained consistent through, even through up to uh, Discovery, through all the uh, various iterations of Trek that I really, I really like. It's mm-hmm. multiculturalism and it works. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's the probably the purest vision of multiculturalism that there is. Yeah. yeah. Uh every ship or at least I guess I'm not sure if it is every ship, but many ships in Starfleet have a magic room that can create mm-hmm. anything and anyone and that is a nightmare for our contemporary society in terms of privacy and self-control uh the holodeck uh presumably uh is a tool for our enlightened heroes to have fun um they probably have more control over their urges and are generally uh more morally impeccable but the holodeck must create more trouble than it's worth oh i mean right? good lord <laughs> in this society I suspect that there's probably rules, but there's definitely a ton of plot lines where people are banging, like, Yeah, people are falling in love, quotation marks, with things on the holodeck. Janeway has a whole relationship with a bartender in an Irish pub in a, uh, like, a a commonly visited um, scene on the holodeck by her crew. And there's a whole discussion with her and the doctor where he says, you have urges. We're really far away from from the right. Federation. You can't go home. And it's it's complicated <laughs> it for, for you to have a relationship with any one of your crew member. So maybe right. you should go ahead and just have a relationship with, yeah. with, with this guy. Yeah. And it brings up, I don't know, I think some people think that it brings up uh, troubling uh, questions of consent, um, mm-hmm. especially in an episode like Fair Haven, where I believe they've um, sort of tweaked the programming on the holodeck mm-hmm. uh, to sort of let it run longer and let these characters develop. And she kind of, the guy that she kind of breaks up with the guy and he gets mad at her uh, yep. because uh, because they're splitting. And so <clears throat> it, it, it brings up issues of consent in that if you create something, a character that 
as far as we can tell, like would pass a Turing test as being human and then you use them for sexual gratification or program them to sexually gratify, uh, gratify you, mm-hmm. then where, where's the line here exactly? So what's interesting about that episode is, or maybe if it isn't that episode, it comes up later, is that there is actually a discussion that Janeway has with Paris, because I believe Paris is the one that created Fairhaven. Yeah. Uh, and he, I think there's a discussion about her breaking up with him and whether she wants uh, Paris to kind of remove that memory or something along line, yeah, that lines. Yeah, and yeah. they have a discussion and Janeway says, don't change him. And also like make it impossible for me to change him. Like I don't want, I want him to be his own thing. So they actually do kind of touch on that so that oh, she, he isn't, he, <laughs> she's trying to give him as much kind of autonomy and, um, I don't know what the right word is, like uh, be as much of a, an actual person like their doctor is um, yeah. as possible. So there isn't they, they do kind of discuss that, which is, is really interesting, especially given that they're implying that this is going to be a long term relationship between January. And it also is really interesting when you compare that to the character of the doctor, who is very much like an accepted part of the crew. He's also a hologram. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Voyager does kind of start to talk about that. Um because it is. It is really tricky, for sure. It's Yeah, it's tricky. The question, I guess, becomes is as, as, they, as the, the time periods progress and holodeck technology is no doubt, like, refined, like, if, were the earlier holodecks sort of less implicated in those kind of issues because they were less complex? And as their ability, as you say, as their ability to program has evolved and their ability to pass a Turing test and become more and more lifelike has evolved, they're, they're probably the society that, much like us with the internet and so many things, the society that created the holodex is probably now more coming to grips with that as their ability to create more and more lifelike people happens. It may have yeah. been, it was probably something that they had initially not necessarily considered Mm-hmm. Oh, or at least didn't give much thought to, but then as it has progressed, now they've got to be like, well, you know, now what have we done it's, type yeah, of thing. It, it's an existential nightmare. It just makes me think of like, if every time I fired up my PlayStation, I had to like ask it like what game it wanted to play today or if it felt like yeah. playing Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. Right. And every time you every time you killed a guy in Dark Souls and then he respawned, you know, and he'd be somewhere in the back of his mind. He's thinking, you know, this asshole's done this to me every time. Like, <laughs> right. are we really going to go through guy. this again? I'd I'm like to do him. something different this time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's let's watch some Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a, a troubling sort of, I don't know if it's like like a revenge porn aspect to the holodeck or just mm-hmm. like making people that you know in real life. There's a storyline in DS9 where Cork is literally like trying to take secret pictures of Kira so he can make this like sex program of her. Oh. And that leads us to a whole nother question about like, yeah. shouldn't Quark have been in jail a hundred times already? But uh, setting that aside, like... We assume, or at least I assume, that the people of the 24th century are morally upright, and most of them don't do this. But when you have this technology in the hands of people outside the Federation, you get things like Vulcan Love Slave 25. Yeah, I mean, you got to want... That's it. Sure. Perhaps the Federation has rules and regulations about it, but I have no doubt that you're right. It's probably... That tech is probably all over in the seedier parts of the galaxy getting the absolute... (laughs) abused out of it because <laughs> said, like who knows what these people are coming up with yeah. um i think i think though um this we not to get too uh 
depressing but there there is the technology that exists right now that's called that's like deep fakes where there exists a technology where mm. they can put your face onto a another person's body and animate it so it looks like you're doing it and then also put your voice in and have you say things that you never said and it's mm. a legit thing that exists that people are starting to grapple with and i i heard a discussion about it and they're they were kind of just saying the technology exists it's out there we can't stop it so we're just going to have to try and learn how to tell when it's fake. Um, so I think like that would be a skill that you'd have to learn. Um, and I mean, I yeah, I think that there would be, you know, in the, the controlled parts of the, the universe, there would be some rules and regulations um, to stop the um, more malicious <laughs> use of that technology. But right, in the right. seedier parts, if it got there, it would be the same as what it is. Right yeah, now on it, the web. It, it doesn't seem like it's it doesn't seem as though that technology is tremendously widespread, just insofar as uh, no I don't think anyone that Voyager encounters has anything like that. No, they do. I mean the 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 I always want to call it the Korean dish, but it's not the tsunkate. Oh yeah, of course tsunkate has I mean, yeah, 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 delicious. Yeah. You're right. yeah. Um so there's that. That that exists. But that's not Okay, sorry to get extremely technical. That's Go merely projecting something that's already happening. That's yeah. not the programming capacity to make artificial people and that's things true. like that. It's merely just like, it's merely projecting live what's happening somewhere else. It's almost just like a glorified live stream television thing. It's, it's yeah, pay-per-view. Not, not quite the same, like, would not take the same programming capacity as creating an entire new group of people that you tend to do with the holiday. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I like how, I mean, we're talking about some of the uh, more negative aspects of sex in, in Trek. Um, and yeah. I like how positive Trek is generally, but I guess I probably wouldn't mind seeing, or I, th I think I'd at least like to try um, a show that focuses on the troubling aspects mm -hmm. of some of the technology in Trek, like a, maybe a Trek Black Mirror type situation, where we look at some of these things like, how did they make a decision about... Uh, you know, making people's likenesses in the holodeck and like mm -hmm. the, the, the sort of rise question and uh, other implications of their technology. I think that'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see if, you know, because that is such a, that that's especially such a thing in today's society, in like 2019 of discussing like sort of the, the, the possible aspects of technology and things like that. I'm curious to see if Discovery might go that route in future, future seasons, right? It's mm -hmm. entirely possible they might. Yeah. It would be really interesting, though, if someone took a, a series and, and did. I mean, I would love to know how they got to that utopia. <laughs> you know, I would love. To, and like, <laughs> yes. not just in the sex realm of things and the relationships in all realms. And I, I mean, I, I suspect that's never going to happen because the way that they kind of get around the 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 specific details of how it works is that they say it's just a utopia everything's good right and then we'll go <laughs> right. from there and if you if you if you pick too much at it you would kind of it would fall apart i think but it would Probably. be a really interesting examination for someone to to take up that stuff and, and look at the technology that they have and see how it could be used maliciously or or for bad intents and how they got around that i think yeah i mean yeah it'd be super interesting it'd be so incredibly difficult <laughs> to tackle <laughs> It absolutely would. I talked to a guy named uh, Manu Sadia who wrote a book called Treconomics, um, mm -hmm. which sort of proposed different scenarios as how we can get there. And pretty much all those scenarios broke down to we got to get rid of money. It's yeah. just like yeah. money's the problem. Like yeah. when we get rid of money, you will eliminate 
if you it's like the whole thing about capitalism is if you take the scorecard away how do we know who's winning mm -hmm. but if we take the scorecard away nobody we can all win nobody has to win yeah and so just you... getting rid of that and uh obviously having free energy and being um money you know, and scarcity yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Money and scarcity. And then, of course, the, the social uh, element of it as well, um, just being egalitarian. But, yeah, that's kind of kind of it. Yeah. I think, though, the, the social aspect would probably largely come from the first two being solved. Like a lot of the social issues come mm -hmm. from um, scarcity. And, yeah. If and you resolve the money and scarcity issues, it, it would be much easier to resolve the social issues from there. Mm -hmm. If, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's it's easy to convince people people someone else is you know it's easy to convince people someone else is coming to take your jobs and your money well mm -hmm. if you don't have the money they're not coming you to take your jobs lot. it's not a big yeah. deal yeah 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 well this isn't sex we get get back to sex <laughs> no uh someone's another... coming to take your women I mean, no women <laughs> no worry. yeah that okay would, thanks, also, thanks for bringing it back <laughs> that would also play out though in sexual politics as well right if you if you eliminate some of the um us versus them and the need for tribalism the need to protect yourself against like an unnamed other that's going to take away some part of your life then people who are different than you become less threatening and that be that includes any kind of sexual identity gender identity any of that stuff it becomes less threatening right because it's not it's not uh, undermining your place in society it absolutely does um sexual scarcity uh, okay that's a good concept i like that <laughs> we have to eliminate sexual scarcity yeah yeah all right yeah <laughs> <laughs> The, the, it leads me to another suspicion that I have about the Trek franchise, um, at least in its earlier presentations. Like Roddenberry always emphasized this break from the traditional enforced mores of the society at the time, mm. like the Judeo-Christian values. And he proposed that everybody should accept each other uh, as is. But so many sex tales in Trek seem to end in disaster, you know, or people being punished for, um, instead of, you know, being naughty in a good way, being naughty in a bad way. And it comes off as being kind of prudish in spite of its declarations otherwise. Like Gene was an avowed atheist, or he was at least a humanist, but mm -hmm. the sex can seem fairly puritanical at times on Trek. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are characters, though, that that doesn't necessarily... I mean, Dax on DS9 is a pretty great mm -hmm. character for being... Yes. She's just... She just seems like she's great for all things sex and relationship. She's down for whatever. She's a fun-loving gal. She be, I mean, having it, lived so many lives, she doesn't. She isn't really constrained by any sort of identity or or gender or sexual orientation politics. That being yeah. said, at, at least, especially I think I, with the original series is. Gene had a certain view on what it was creation, but at the end of the day, they also had to sell it to yeah. like they were also beaming it into the houses of 60s America. Right. Yeah. So yeah, there was I only suppose. so yeah. far you could take it before. Yeah. Sometimes the the, the, the prurient set, the, the out of the ordinary sex had to be punished because mm -hmm. America's not going to stand for that otherwise. Like right. they, they, so the Bible it, it, yeah. it's about it was probably at least somewhat it's more li likely about towing a line between uh, Except going with what the what at the time was considered what the majority thinks about sex, and then finding the ways to play with it within there. But yeah, yeah. so it, I wouldn't be surprised if sometimes it comes off of prudish because that was necessary to pre appease the prurient part of the audience that was watching the show at the time, yeah, and yeah. still is, although less so now. Yeah. And that relates particularly to Trek's just sad lack of LGBTQ representation. Um, George Takei said a while back that he had asked Gene why they didn't have any gay characters on Trek. And that's basically what he said. He said, you know, we'll get canceled if we do this. Like, I'm already trying to take on civil rights, you mm -hmm. know, Vietnam, the Cold War. 
And if I do that, we'll get canceled and we have to stay on the air to tackle what we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, which it, seems kind of cop outy to me, but I guess I understand the it's, pressure that it, he was it's under. It's cop outy, but it's some. T- unfortunately, he's right in that sometimes you have to pick your battles. If yeah. you try yeah. and fight every front of a war at the same time, you're going to lose. Yeah, that it's it's unfortunate that those weren't the battles that he picked. But I under I do understand, especially back then, why that's where it is that you're going to be drawing a line. Mm-hmm. But they do they do try to sneak things in. I think like every series gets better because there there's less limitations as we kind of move through the decades and things become a little bit yeah, more Yeah, networks open. will accept more now and but especially even, now now with the streaming and such nobody like yeah, yeah, nobody cares anymore. But even with TNG though, Riker has a thing with an adro- like an, an androgynous character which kind of plays with some lines. He's a very hetero like straight dude, but they still yeah. threw in this one plot line. And and now again, I did some research on that, thing, and what was I discovered that Jonathan Frakes had sort of a very similar take as to K on that is that the, it was an actress playing this character that he was attracted to, and he wanted it to be an actor. He's like, no, yeah. if we're going to do this story, yeah. let's do it really properly. Let's make the character that I am falling for. She's androgynous, but she's still you can still tell it's an actress that is yeah. playing it. He wanted to go full in. He's like, no, let's have an actor playing it. Let's let's really go with that. Yeah. And unfortunately, again, it came to a network thing. They just kind of balked at that. We're like, that's a bit too far. We can tell this story, but we can't tell this story like that. Yeah. 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 There's um, <laughs> uh, in 1986, like before TNG came on, Gene had promised uh, going around to conventions and stuff. He had promised fans that they'd be looking at gay characters on the new show. And David Gerald, the guy that wrote Triple with Tribbles, who was working on TNG, he went home and wrote a script called Blood and Fire, which included uh, two gay characters and also um, sort of an AIDS crisis allegory mm. uh, in this disease that was going around and presented it. And Gene was like, yeah, we can't do that. It's like, you said that we were going to do this, uh, and, you know, the script never got made. It, it did eventually get made into a um, Star Trek Phase Two uh, episode of the web series. Okay. okay. But otherwise, it's disappointing. And as far as, like, being, you know, cop-outy, um, Ron Moore said, and he's changed his tune after uh, in later years, but he had said earlier on that his excuse was, like, the writer's just took that homosexuality and non-hetero lifestyles were a given in the world of the characters. So there'd be no point in exploring it. Yeah. Which no, is that's like, a what's the word for that? I think the word is bullshit. Yeah. That? That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's clearly nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Cause Trek because, is about what we're going through in our current yeah. times, not well, what they're going through. Yeah. More importantly, if that's the case, then why do they ever explore heterosexual relationships in the show? Yeah, no I kidding. Mean, or race. Yeah, no, or that, that's utter yeah. nonsense. Yeah. He did come back later and say that they had failed. And the reason being is, like you mentioned before, they didn't have any real, like, peop- like gay writers. You know, there was no peop- uh, nobody who was looking to yeah. get represented in that way. Yeah. Yeah. There was they 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 didn't they didn't feel the urgency to tell that story clearly. Yeah. Which. But it's it's tough to tell a story that isn't your story. Like it's tough. Yeah. It's tough to have a, a room for full of people that have not experienced that. Um, tell it in a way that is um, an accurate and balanced um, and kind portrayal of it. Yeah. You. you it's sit, just hard to do. Sit a bunch of straight dudes in a room and tell them, okay, write a gay romance. It's not going to be a very good one. <laughs> even if you th- if you even if you throw in like one or two job. straight lady into that mix, it's not going to be any better. No. You know? Like it, you just need to have diversity. You need to have diverse writers. You need to have people in there that have lived that. Um, yeah. And can do it justice. 
Or you'll get something like Rejoined, which um, is a pretty good episode. And it's held up as being like the first real like presence of gay uh, characters uh, in the franchise, but yet is still basically a bunch of guys writing like two women making out. Yeah, I mean, I, they get their closest, I think, that they ever get with Dax. Um, and that I love that character and I love what they did with that whole dynamic of, of the Trill and, and um, the symbiote and like what that means when you have lived so many lives in so many different bodies and love yeah. so many different people. And so there's some great things that they do with Dax. I mean, she does end up with Worf, but throughout that whole, <laughs> but. <laughs> but throughout the whole series, there's always these allusions to the fact that, you know, she had these great loves and it doesn't matter that if at the time she was a man loving a woman, she still loves that even though she's in a female body. Um, yeah. So there are some cool things that they do. Um, it isn't perfect. And, and the way that they do Dax isn't perfect because it's always kind of like a side story and it's not really like a full main yeah, plot yeah. line. But it, I think the reason why people still continue to devote their their devotion, for lack of a better word, to yeah. Star Trek is that they continue to give characters, they continue to try, they continue to give little bits um, and it isn't perfect uh, and they definitely have a long way to go. But, you know, it, they were always trying like even the Riker thing it wasn't perfect they were had some limitations but to have like a character who is kind of like Kirk 2.0 <laughs> um but have him be kind and have him be fall for like a, a non like a, a non stereotypically female character and he's also yeah. very kind to Troy and he's very understanding of Troy when Troy has other lovers yeah they, there's she no dates him there. she dates his clone and he's yeah. like okay cool yeah. yeah yeah he's he's very there's we did an episode where there's the whole plot line is that troy has this thing with a, a man or another man who comes onto the the ship and that guy tries to make Riker jealous and Riker's like i'm not jealous if if it makes her happy that's great that's yeah, all yeah, I want. yeah. he's having none of it yeah yeah that guy's a dick <laughs> yeah uh, i've got a theory about the tng episode justice have you guys covered that yet or do you know that one uh i don't think we've covered it in the podcast no this is the one where it's i think it's the first season they go to this planet and everybody on the planet is like a swedish yoga master they're all running around and like yes, yes. And stuff like yes. That. yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. In, in in the episode it's again it's that sort of like huh this would be pretty cool huh it's kind of wink wink nudge nudge thing where it's the planet where you can just screw anybody and they have lots of oil massages and good times yeah and there's one rule about the planet if you break any law any law you are immediately killed yeah and it, and the thing is, is that it's random, like the zone where it happens, the punishment zone is random every day. And so it's this world of like this idyllic world of love and pleasure where at any time, like you can be struck down for no good reason and it's not even your fault. And I, to me, and it wasn't written by uh, uh, like a gay man, as far as I know, to me, that seemed like an AIDS metaphor to me. Like it was in 1986 mm. that it was written. It was like at the height of the AIDS crisis. So I don't know if that's just too modern of a reading, but even though they had these strictures, I think they were still trying to get things like that through. Now, I mean, it, now that you say that, that seems very no. That makes a yeah. whole lot of sense, right? That the, the especially what's important about it is the random element to it. If it was in the one yeah. specific place and things, it wouldn't work. But the randomness of the destruction, yeah, yeah. that may because anyone you speak to who lived through that time would say exactly that. If it's just you never knew which mm -hmm. one of your friends was just suddenly going to die on you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, they, 
they they must have been aware, you know, they must have been aware that this was something that was happening. And it, if you're going to make a show about that without ever actually saying it, you could do far worse than, as you say, that particular structure. Well, and the mm. beauty of especially that- especially because it's all, as you say, Swedish massages and things. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a <laughs> yeah, that's a. Yeah. The beauty of sci-fi has always been that you can tell stories about what's happening currently, but you can do it in ways that aren't always super obvious because there's just, there's no limitations, right? Um, Right. There's only the limitations of the world that you've created, but you know, it can be whatever you want it to be. And so that allows you the space to tell these stories um, often in ways that are kind of hidden or not as overt. Um, And it's a way to get those storylines into people's homes and past uh, sensors and past like yeah, the limitations yeah. we've been talking about. Yeah. And they use that technique to explore um, intersex and transgender characters often yeah. through yeah. various species who are non-binary. I really enjoyed you guys' recent episode about the Enterprise episode, uh, Cogenitor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a tough one to, to make light of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I like that you rightly pointed out that, uh, that, Trip was like way out of line. Like Trip should not have been doing all the things that he was doing, even though he felt like he was doing the right thing. And I think in the past, like if this was an original series episode, it would have been Kirk just tearing their dumb society down. And it maybe wasn't perfect in Enterprise, but I think Enterprise was aware of the fact that, yeah, Trip probably should have minded his own business. Yeah, it's what they're, yeah, they they get it. They did a good way of playing the line of, Probably how this society is treating these the, these members of their society is not correct. But Trip wasn't going to solve that in a day. And the only thing <laughs> the only thing that I will say, and I I, I uh, tried to, you know, I, I mentioned this. This is the where Connor and I disagreed. Yeah, in this Alexa episode, and I disagreed rather vociferously is, on this episode. I think you're right. I think they did a good job of playing that line. The thing that ruined it for me was at the end when Archer was like, no, this suicide is your fault. You shouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done that. There's no black and white because it, it should have been a gray area because, you know, they, Star Trek is constantly going into other cultures. And when they see like gross injustices are stepping in, that that is what they do. And for them to kind of come down at the end of it and say, no, there's black and white. You should you should never step in. Kind of goes against what they do in a lot of other situations. So they could have played it better had they kind of left that and just left left the characters sitting in this this question of well, it wasn't right for us to go in and question another person like another whole society's culture and and way of functioning. But also though, this kind of goes against our our core values. So it was really tricky and there isn't a great answer, but instead of that, they said it's your fault that she that well it isn't a she the cogenitor killed itself. Right. It's just it was just a weird turn. Um, I of yeah. course had taken a different view on that. Yeah. that Archer is completely correct <laughs> oh, okay. because they don't have the power to enforce any of these changes or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, and so no, that Archer is completely correct, and that isn't ter- because he doesn't for that exact reason. Crit Trip is not going to change their society, and at the time period that Enterprise takes place in, yeah, the Federation or it's not even a Federation isn't going to change their society either. They're they're, right. they're not in a position to be able to affect any any change on them at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was a, it was it, it was a, it was a tough episode, but luckily there was sex there was sexy cheese. <laughs> so, so much sexy cheese. That was okay. <laughs> so much sexy cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Plus uh, Archer would never pass up the chance to yell at somebody. So Yeah, right? It's on kind of his thing. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of what he does. 
Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I want to take a quick peek into the sex lives of our heroes on the show, specifically our captains. And mm-hmm. I think that it's troubling that of all the captains and commanders on Trek, as you mentioned before, the only female one, Captain Janeway, seems to get the least action. Yeah. Uh, you, in fact, have a segment on your show, the <laughs> Janeway Bang Watch, that yep. addresses this. Yep. And uh, it's been a pretty dry spell so far. Yes, there's, it's been a lot of, we've been sitting up there in the parapet keeping watch and yeah, not a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot happening. It's, I mean, they, they do, there's a slight narrative purpose for that in that you're right on the ship, except for Chakotay, there isn't really anyone she can bang due to like naval relations and such. But even then that doesn't make much sense. It's, Oh, but like it, she, it, she'll she never be on equal footing with anybody on the ship. No, yeah. but they meet a shitload of people off the ships. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's it, it, I mean, it probably comes back to what we've been discussing over and over again is that the various writers in the various Caesar, uh, series knew how to write a, a male romance, a guy falling in love with a lovely lady. Yeah. Probably weren't as good as writing a romance for a female captain. The only thing that I will say to counter that <laughs> yeah. is that in the first couple seasons, they are clearly building up to a Janeway and Chakotay matchup. Yes. And it yeah. is clear, yes. and they're doing a great job. There's some great little nuggets it happens every once in a while, kind of in every couple of episodes. They have like a nice little flirty exchange where you can kind of see the tension. And then it just disappears. Yeah, they just throw that completely out the window. And then at the, the end of the season, they throw him with Seven of Nine, which seems dumb. So they're, Ooh, yeah. what I would argue is that someone in that room in the first couple of seasons was writing that. And they were doing a good job. Yeah. And then it disappeared. So I don't know what exactly happened there. Yeah, if that had come to fruition, we probably, we'd probably view it differently. If, the, if they'd played a long form romance yeah. over several seasons and then finally have it culminate that would view very differently because that would be great okay so she didn't get a lot of random hookups but they had the long time seduction that ended up coming through great but because it doesn't happen yeah it falls very flat and she ends up with a whole lot of dead air yeah because she yeah. spends those first couple seasons building up with Dakota that then nothing happens yeah i don't know if you guys do you remember the episode from the first season of voyager uh it's called prime factors and it's an episode where the crew finds a planet that has this great technology even higher than the federation and it can like cut you know 20,000 light years off their trip yeah and it's a it's a pleasure planet you know it's a planet that's like the people are uh, you know dedicated instead of like the federation exploring they're dedicated to uh to enjoying the pleasures of life and being epicurean mm-hmm. and the guy that the, who leads them takes a thing uh takes a liking to Janeway and he's played by this kind of I don't know if this is what they're going for in casting but like this kind of euro trashy sort of <laughs> oh Captain Janeway oh I love your yeah. pecan pie oh hello would you like thing. to yeah. come and uh, ride in my boat <laughs> yeah. around the Caribbean around the yeah. Mediterranean <laughs> yeah. I will yeah. show you the lovely islands yeah that kind of guy I- yeah, and what I loved about the uh, episode is that they're acknowledging her uh, sexuality, um, but also they're showing her kind of play this guy. You know what yeah. I mean? She's She has the pie with him, but it's like, okay, sure, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, let's go do this. And yeah. it's never – I don't think she's ever really in danger of falling for the guy, but it's just – I like that, that they show that she's got more – because Kirk – you know, would meet the beautiful leader of some planet and we'd already be, you know, going at it. So yeah. I like that there's a more nuance there. Yeah. The this the thing that I love about their treatment of Janeway is it isn't great all the time, but they do give her some really great um episodes every once in a while that really show that she is a very confident lady in all aspects. We yeah. just did an episode uh called Counterpoint, which is one of my favorites. Um mm. and it's basically like they're going through 
um, this section of uh, the Delta Quadrant that is um, there's an alien race that has kind of really strict rules against all kind of telepaths. Um, mm-hmm. And so this they're constantly having their ship inspected by these military guys. And uh, Voyager, of course, is hiding some telepaths on, on board. Um, and then there's this whole plot line of, of Janeway and the, the main military guy having this whole relationship where he, you know, defects and wants to leave. And like they are, are figuring out this, this math problem or physics problem and they stay up really late and, you know, there's a lot of flirting <laughs> and they're, they're falling for each other. And then... I mean, spoiler, he... He, he double-crosses them, he double but crosses then Janeway her. has already double-crossed him. Janeway planned for that <laughs> ahead of time, but we still get a little bit of making out between the two of them, and it was sure. it's really enjoyable because it, they're very much equals, and there yeah. is this really nice moment at the end where they kind of both acknowledge that they they would be a good match, but they, like <laughs> obviously it's not going to happen because they're from such different points of view and, and yeah she yeah. is able to be romantic and yeah. flirtatious and such while at absolutely zero point in time losing any control no. over the fact that she is the master of or the any situation power. she doesn't lose any power yeah 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 that reminds me so much of the enterprise incident the original series episode where spock goes undercover and he pretends to be wooed by this romulan female romulan commander that's really into him yes and they're kind of you know they're both kind of playing each other and at the end he comes out on top and she's really kind of fallen for him she's has more emotions as a romulan but you get that he feels bad too and he's at the end he's kind of like i don't know maybe at some point in the future we might and she's like no no it's not gonna happen yeah she's like "Uh uh-uh buddy you you shot your like that was our shot uh we're not going for round two on this one yeah do you guys think that there's so you pointed out that there's male writers before or a predominance of them do you think that there's a problem with seeing a female pov character experience love and sex on a show like this no, I don't. I don't. I well, not with the female audience, certainly. <laughs> yeah. There shouldn't be. No. It would have been really great to see um, when Voyager was airing, which was what, the, the 90s? Mid 90s. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been great to Up see a female boss, like a female person in charge, in power, still have a relationship and still have like that yeah. romantic life and sexual life and not have it detract in any way. Because we don't get to see that even beyond like sci-fi shows, we don't get to see that very often. It would have been a really yeah. fantastic opportunity for them to do that, um, and it's a chance they definitely missed out on. Um, yeah. And I mean, I know all of the f- the female audience would have loved to see that. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that like you get somebody like Cisco who gets to have. Uh, what we get to have two wives and a family and a son yeah. and everything, and then we have like a woman in power like Jane Away, and she has to be she has to just be empowered, be sort yeah. of removed from that. Yeah, but I mean, Cisco gets all that because as soon as he opens his mouth, you I just mean, you can't, you know, the, the dulcet tones <laughs> of Cisco. Cisco are irresistible. So I mean, I understand you can write him; he can have as many relationships as he wants because everyone's going to buy that. As soon as yeah. he says hello, how are you? It's like, yeah, I'm going to have yeah. sex with that. Fine, yeah. great, fantastic. <laughs> It is real. Yes. Um, Well, thanks so much, Alexa and Connor. Uh, This is a fascinating topic. I'm sure we could go on endlessly. And I'll have to have you guys back for more Trek sex talk. Maybe a little more on the fun side of sex (laughs) next time. Yeah, we'll we'll come up with some more interesting scenarios for future technology. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Some more enjoyable ones. In the meantime, where can people find you online? 
Uh, we're at Boldy Boinking on Instagram, uh, at Boldy Boinking on Twitter. Um, and our podcast is up sort of wherever you can download podcasts. All the yeah. podcast in- places. Podcast places, yeah. Podcast, yeah. You know them yep. places where the podcasts are. I, I, sure. iTunes. Uh, do you want to do you want to list all the podcasts? No, places? I don't. I don't. There's too many. <laughs> oh, wait. if you Google it, everyone, it's the 21st century. Yeah. We all know how <laughs> yes. Google works. If you Google it, it'll come up, guys. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Yes. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thank you. Thanks great. for having us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah.